Hello everybody and Kia Ora. Today we'll be talking about the changes announced in December to harmonise the use of national telematics framework applications for heavy vehicles in Queensland with other jurisdictions. We have more than 200 people registered for today's webinar. Welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. My name is Erin Gibson. I'm one of the communications officers at Osteroads. I'll be moderating today's session together with John Gordon. John Gordon is the Manager of Strategic Development at Transport Certification Australia, and John will be joining us at the end for the Q&A. I'd like to start by acknowledging the Treaty of Waitangi and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. I also acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. Austroads is based in Sydney, and so today I am on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to Elders past, present and emerging and their deep and ongoing connection to the land. Just a bit about Austroads and TCA. Austroads is the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies. Our focus is to support our member organisations to deliver an improved road transport network. TCA is a national organisation that enables improved public purpose outcomes from road transport by providing assurance services related to transport technologies, including the administration of the national telematics framework. Austroads and TCA are both governed by the Austroads board. Before we begin, we'll just touch on a bit of housekeeping. Our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we'll have a Q&A session for 15. The slides and the report can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you'll find on the right-hand side of your screen. To send us your questions for the Q&A, please use the question icon on your sidebar. If your question relates to any particular slide, include the number of that slide in your message. That helps gives us some context to your question and helps us to answer it as best as we can. Also, let us know if you have any technical problems, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your connection. Closing your browser and rejoining the session via your email registration link will usually help. This session's being recorded and we'll let you know when the recording is available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, you can also find us in your podcast app. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today, Gavin Hill and Mark Mitchell. Gavin is the General Manager of Strategy and Delivery at Transport Certification Australia, and Mark is the Director of Heavy Vehicle Operations at the Queensland Department of Transport and Main Roads. John Gordon will be joining us at the end to moderate the Q&A portion of our webinar today. Over to you, Gavin. Thank you, Erin. And uh, good afternoon or good morning to everyone, wherever you might be. Um, just like to thank everyone for making the time to come along today. What I'd like to do um, is to explain uh, a little bit about the National Telematics Framework and to give you some context around the policy changes that Mark Mitchell will speak to um, in relation to the transition from IAP to TMA, uh, which, which commenced um, in December last year. Um, as Erin has already introduced, uh, TCA is, uh, is part of Austroads, and TCA's primary role is around vehicle-based technology and data, or otherwise known as, as telematics. And this provides a bit of a, a useful starting point from which to uh, talk about the value of telematics. Also, um, to give you some context as to why the National Telematics Framework exists. So for those who are familiar with telematics, um, we know that lots of data is generated every single day from vehicles that are already equipped 
with telematics devices and, and monitoring services. And in the year 2023, um, most, if not all, commercial vehicles have, have some form of telematics device uh, fitted to them. And this means, uh, in simple terms, that um, we're generating across our public road networks unprecedented volumes of data. So every single day, we have a continuous flow of data being generated from vehicles on the road network. But one of the challenges we have collectively, not just in this country, New Zealand or anywhere else for that matter, is that the data that's collected from vehicles is not always readily available to governments, road agencies or regulators. And some often refer to this problem as the problem of dark data. So lots of data being collected, it's being used for private purposes or to help manage fleets or to improve driver safety and welfare, but it's not always available in a, in a form or a format that allows governments to, to uh, derive a public good from that data and to deliver improved road outcomes through the power of telematics and data. And in simple terms, the National Telematics Framework was established and exists to overcome this fundamental problem. To give you some, um, to, to illustrate this further, um, it's worthwhile just uh, referring to this image that we see on the screen here right now. And what the National Telematics Framework does is bring together different parties or different actors that collectively contribute to an approved, improved road outcome. And these parties uh, within the framework um, are representing the four quadrants of, of this image. If I start from the left-hand top, we have what we refer to generically as, as authorities. And in that sense, we're talking about uh, government agencies like the Department of Transport and Main Roads in Queensland, who create applications and schemes which utilise telematics for some public benefit. And in, this, in the area of heavy vehicles, that often refers to heavy vehicle productivity and safety arrangements, which Mark will speak more to um, in a moment. But in, in essence, authorities create the demand for uh, telematics applications and schemes through the framework. And that incentivizes transport operators to use telematics and to share data through the framework. So transport operators say, well, authorities have introduced something that might benefit me. It might be a productivity improvement. It might be some sort of safety incentive. And transport operators see this as an opportunity to improve the way they do business. In order to do that, they then move to the lower left-hand quadrant, which is where application service providers, or more generically, technology providers live. So transport operators will respond to what authorities do, and they'll do that by saying, if I use telematics and telematics services that are recognised through the National Telematics Framework, then I will be able to derive a benefit from what authorities have created through some kind of productivity or safety improvement. So this three-way exchange between those three parties is really important. 
and TCA's role setting up the top right hand quadrant brings it all together and our role is to ensure that we have a structured operational framework that brings these different parties together and at the end of the day delivers a, uh, an improved public outcome um, that improves the, the use of road networks, the productive use of road networks and the safe use of road networks in Australia and New Zealand. If you want to know more about how the National Telematics Framework actually operates under the hood, um, there, there is some information on the TCA website and you'll see some um, useful documents which you can refer to um, to better understand some of the mechanics and machinery that makes this, uh, this framework operate in practice. One of the important things uh, that you'll see on this particular slide is that we have standardised approaches to uh, what telematics data is collected. So we have a telematics data dictionary, which defines what data is collected and in what format. So the standardisation there, which is really important. And then, you talk, then you'll see down the, uh, the third row, we talk about different levels and different models of assurance, which I'll touch upon um, in a few slides um, uh, time. And that will give you some uh, context around the policy changes which, uh, which Mark will talk about. And you might be wondering, well, what does this all mean in the end? Well, it means that the National Telematics Framework is essentially a marketplace of recognised technology and telematics providers who are recognised by government agencies through the framework. And it means that if you're a transport operator or the registered operator of a vehicle, then you only need to have one service provider or one application service provider, which is recognised nationally across the country. Um, and that can be put to good use across all jurisdictions who offer schemes and productivity and safety opportunities for registered operators of vehicles. So this consumer choice, this is really important. This is a this is a regulated framework. It's a marketplace, and it means that if Mark Mitchell from TMR or one of his colleagues says to a heavy vehicle operator that you need to have certified telematics in order to carry a bit more mass on the back of your truck uh, in the state of Queensland, then you only need to have one certified system. You might operate that vehicle in other jurisdictions, and you might derive benefits from schemes in those jurisdictions. It means when you cross state borders, you only need one certified application service provider that can meet all the needs uh, that are offered across the, uh, the needs of governments and those productivity and safety benefits which are provided to the transport sector. One last thing I'll mention here is there's some really good and strong consumer protections and assurance through the framework. And, and that's really important when you have um, uh, business owners and registered operators making really significant decisions around technology. And so they need support and they need protections to ensure that their investments in those technology um, are protected. And so one of TCA's role is besides certifying providers is to ensure that uh, all application service providers and suppliers of hardware meet certain requirements so that they're not fly-by-nighters, they're here for the long haul, they're here for the right reasons, and that um, we, we manage the needs of customers 
through our agreements with those uh, with those technology providers. Out of all of this, and one you know, the, the the pink wording here is is what's really important. All these things come together at the end of the day. Those relationships between parties, the role of TCA. Um, besides offering the benefits through schemes and telematics and data, which I've talked about, at the very end of all this, it unlocks data reporting and collection, which is unparalleled um, anywhere else in the world. And for that reason, um, Australia's national telematics framework is recognised globally as an international standards uh, through um, the framework for cooperative telematics applications for regulate, regulated commercial freight vehicles. That's quite a mouthful. Don't try and say it too quickly, but ISO 15638, look it up if, you, if you're interested, um, and you'll see some really strong parallels between that international standard and Australia's national telematics framework. And it's really critical because it means that Australia's transport sector and Australia's technology sector continue to lead the world around um, digital transformation and um, Australia's work here with government agencies and the telematics framework and uh, technology providers is often referred to as international best practice. Um, I'm going to skip through these slides because I've already spoken to most of them in terms of these quadrants, but it's worth pointing out besides TCA um, administering the framework, we also register and certify applications of service providers. And uh, you'll, you'll hear us talk about, for instance, certified providers or registered providers. We certify and register providers based on the levels of assurance, which I've, which I've touched on already. And we do that by referring to performance-based functional and technical specifications that we develop in partnership with Australian governments. We also type approved hardware. That means we approve pieces of hardware by type, um, and that enables um, really strong, reliable data to be collected right at the beginning of the whole framework so that we have confidence and assurance that data collection is reliable and robust right from the very start when, when data is collected from the vehicle. And as I mentioned on that final dot point, we uh, manage all the interactions between parties in the framework. Now, I'm going to speak just a little bit around the different levels of assurance that we offer through the framework. And some of you will be familiar with the different grades that we've introduced through the framework. There's basically three levels of assurance, and it means that um, the level of certification or the level of registration for things like the road infrastructure management application reflect the intended use of those applications and their associated schemes um, by authorities. So when, when I'm talking about levels of assurance, um, when we're talking about the IAP, we're referring to a high level, high integrity, um, evidentiary based in law telematics application, which is highly robust and um, involves TCA having a really strong oversight role on top of uh, application service providers. If you scale down from there, all the way down to the road infrastructure management application, the level of oversight that we offer is minimal, and, and that reflects the intended use of the RIM application by authorities. And this, is, this provides 
a whole range of tools uh, for authorities. So Mark will talk more about the decisions around the transition from IAP to TMA. What I will say here is that because we've got those different levels of assurance and we've got different applications, it means that authorities can choose the most appropriate application depending on the intended use of the application based on what they're trying to deliver um, through the data that's generated through that application. In simple terms, authorities apply a risk-based approach to the selection of telematics applications. And through that, they balance things like cost, uh, flexibility, and the intended use. And, and Mark will speak further about that. But I just want to point out that through the framework, the flexibility of the tools and the applications that are now available provide a, a great deal of latitude to our decision makers within authorities. I'll, I'll just move on briefly now to um, a handful of slides before I, I hand over to Mark. And I thought as, a, as an entree to, to Mark's description of the policy changes in Queensland, um, I might just outline the differences between IAP and TMA. And I'll also introduce what we uh, referred to as smart AVM. What this table tries to illustrate at a very high level um, is the key differences between the RIM, TMA and IAP applications. On the left hand side of the table you have some of the key differentiators between the applications and as you move across to the right you can see how um, there's ticks and crosses that relate to those key features. And if I start with the Intelligent Access Program on the right-hand side of the chart, its role is to provide a mechanism that allows the use of telematics for compliance and enforcement purposes. So it's typically applied for higher risk activities. And I'm referring to the, the yellow bar at the, uh, the bottom of the table. So where there's high risk, um, road agencies will tend to select the IAP as its preferred application because it needs road agencies and road authorities need the assurance, the strong integrity that comes with the IAP to manage those risks. If you go to the other side of the chart, which is the road infrastructure management application, its primary purpose in life is not about compliance and enforcement at all. It's all about collecting lots and lots of vehicle position data from a large population of vehicles so that it can be aggregated and de-identified. And the primary objective with the RIM application is about understanding the footprint of vehicle activities across road networks. And that can be used for things like road planning and analysis and investment decisions and the like. So at those two extremes, you've got RIM as sort of a big data collector the IAP as a compliance and enforcement tool. And then in the middle, you've got a bit of a sweet spot, which is the TMA application, which is which provides the benefit of being able to aggregate and de-identify data, combined with the ability under controlled circumstances for uh, identifiable vehicle data to be made available. But the key differentiator between TMA and the IAP is that it 
can't be used for direct enforcement or for um, um, uh, scenarios where the only piece of evidence that you might have is telematics data to inform you that um, uh, an offence may have occurred. So TMA, because it provides greater flexibility, means that it's more cost effective. And that means when we talk about the needs of authorities, that they can choose to balance the, the, the risks that they're trying to manage with the flexibility and cost effectiveness that they can offer to transport operators. I'll finish my bit of this webinar just by talking about smart OBM and um, what it actually is. And in simple terms, uh, smart OBM is a way to um, collect mass information from individual axle groups from heavy vehicle combinations. For those who are familiar in this space, um, OBM is often referred to as things like onboard scales, onboard weighing, air pressure sensors, or even in more recent times, electronic braking systems can also uh, provide outputs which can be used for mass measurement. Now, onboard mass systems or you know, any variations of the name have been used by the transport sector for decades. What smart OBM introduces is, is the overlay of digital connectivity with onboard weighing systems. So TCA's role here, again, based on performance-based specifications and functional and technical outcomes, we approve smart OBM systems by type. And the key differentiator between traditional old school onboard weighing systems and smart onboard mass systems is that they collect data which can be linked or shared with um, application service providers or other forms of telematics data. And what we've seen in recent times is that road agencies, road managers across the country, um, are turning to the use of smart OBM um, with TMA to provide productivity opportunities that haven't previously been made available uh, to the transport industry. To give you a sense, um, we also have a marketplace here of type approved smart onboard systems, smart onboard mass systems. And that means we have a consumer choice, again, available. The suppliers of smart OBM systems here on the screen all meet the type approval specification requirements that we set. And because we are performance outcome orientated, um, some of these systems may look different, may perform different, may use different kinds of technologies. But at the end of the day, they meet the performance outcomes that we seek through our specifications. One final slide from me um, before handing over to Mark is just um, to give you a, a broader picture of where smart onboard mass and TMA applications have been introduced throughout the country over the last little while. And you can see here that um, my earlier uh, description of needing one single system across the country rings true. So in Queensland, um, you can get productivity improvements through TMA and Smart OBM. Just in the same way, you can get similar benefits through New South Wales, Victoria and, and Tasmania. And this truly is uh, a, a valuable national initiative. 
And because we've got numerous states recognising smart onboard mass systems across jurisdictional borders, it means that the transport industry can derive far greater value from its investments in smart OBM and certified telematics um, going forward. So at this point, Erin, um, I'll turn back to you and um, I'll, hand, I'll hand the slides over to Mark and um, uh, I look forward to uh, seeing, you, seeing you during the Q&A. Thanks. Thanks, Gavin, and good, good afternoon, everyone. Um, thanks for this opportunity to speak today about why TMR has decided on a transition to the telematics monitoring platform, or TMA, and smart OBM. So what's behind the change in Queensland? So since 2010, both the IAP and OBM have been very important tools in Queensland to provide assurance about route and mass compliance in high-risk heavy vehicles such as heavy mobile cranes and some PBS combinations. Without these tools, TMR's engineers would not have approved much of the road network access that has been provided. So I'd like to stress that these telematics tools have served as an important enabler of heavy vehicle access in Queensland for a number of years. In some cases, these tools have also provided for compliance and enforcement action to be undertaken. Enrolment in IAP and Queensland Interim Onboard Mass has been a requirement to gain network access for a number of Class 1, Class 2 and Class 3 heavy vehicle fleets. It has provided confidence and certainty of load limits and allowed our structural engineers to reduce load factors for capacity calculations on vulnerable structures. With TMR's potential transition of services to the NHVR in late 2023, TMR will make a move from the compliance and enforcement function that we now undertake under delegation from the NHVR. And accordingly, TMR will act as a road manager, an important change. And we need to look towards better telematics platforms where we can utilise data to monitor, monitor road use and clearly understand that heavy vehicles are continuing to comply with operating conditions and route compliance requirements. This transition has already occurred in other key, trans, key jurisdictions. So another factor that we need to consider was alignment with other road manager functions in other areas and if, in the frameworks for telematics. Accordingly, we, that is TMR, announced our intention late last year to transition from IAP and interim OBM to TMA and smart OBM. We believe that by utilising TMA and smart OBM, we can obtain the data that we need to continue to make effective access decisions as, as a road manager and have confidence about heavy vehicle operations operators doing the right thing regarding where they are operating and the conditions that they need to comply with. TMR also has other road use monitoring tools at our disposal that we can use to validate information about heavy vehicle operations and road use activity. Looking at the broader benefits uh, from application of road use data in the next slide. As I mentioned, Queensland's transition to TMA and smart OBM provides alignment with other jurisdictions, but importantly, this move also provides national consistency 
which hopefully benefits other key road user groups, such as the road transport industry, the users of the telematics, and the telematics technology industry, as suppliers of technology and data services. Can I have the next slide, please, Gavin? So I'm confident that this transition will remove some of the complexities that have historically existed, given differing requirements between jurisdictions and between heavy vehicle fleets. Furthermore, I believe that TMA and smart OBM data will provide greater insights into the use of the road network and factor into potential additional access considerations and future road investment decisions. Not to mention that smart OBM and TMA will also potentially deliver cost savings on operational efficiencies to industry. So the vehicle category is affected by the change. The class two high mass limits fleet, the class two PBS level one and 2A truck and dog trailers operating at HML masses, the class two, AB, class two PBS A double fleet and the class three 20 metre three axle truck and four axle dog combinations. I'd like to emphasize that there's no change to class one special purpose vehicle requirements for IAP enrollment. Nice slide there of a PBSA double. So that, that's a key fleet in Queensland that uh, will be transitioning to uh, TMA and smart OBM. So um, just uh, just a nice slide there. Um, it's, that's been an important. Just just that. Just, I just wanted to stress that's been an important enabler of that fleet accessing um, into the port of port of Brisbane in Queensland. So looking at transition details. After consultation with industry last year, we decided the transition to TMA and Smart OBM will be phased in over an 18-month period which we announced late last year. This approach is intended to provide plenty of time for those already enrolled in IAP prior to 1 December 2022 to have time to transition to TMA based on their operational and commercial needs. New eligible heavy vehicle applications will be required to enrol in TMA and or smart OBM. It won't be mandatory for existing enrolled transport operators to transition to TMA or smart OBM immediately, but all existing IAP, HML and or IAP Queensland interim OBM enrolments must be fully, fully transitioned by 1 June 2024. Importantly, IAP and Queensland interim OBM will continue to run concurrently during the transitional period for those already operating under these programs. That's it for me. So thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Hi there, everyone. And thank you very much, Mark and Gavin, for that wonderful presentation. Um, we've got a couple of great questions coming through already, so um, we might dive straight in. But if you have any other questions you'd like to ask, please just jump into the panel on the right-hand side, I think, on your screen, and um, just jot your notes down, and we'll read those out. 
if we don't get a chance to ask to them, answer them here, we'll come back to you all in writing. Um, first question is probably a, a pretty practical one. It's just specifically asking about what, what's the difference between enrolment, getting enrolled in the IAP, many people are probably quite familiar with. What's the difference between getting enrolled in the IAP and getting enrolled in TMA? And perhaps, Gavin, you could talk to that. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, there is a streamlined enrolment process uh, for TMA, which differs quite significantly from uh, what people might be used to with the IAP. Uh, in simple terms, enrolment is managed directly with the application service provider that a transport operator chooses to go with. That alleviates the need that we had with the IAP where you first had to go to um, uh, an authority such as transport and main roads to first initiate the enrolment and then for the service provider uh, that you've chosen to, to complete the enrolment process. Um, so everyone that's transitioning from IAP to TMA, it'll be a, a more streamlined process than what you might be accustomed to uh, if you've uh, experienced um, an IAP enrolment uh, process in the past. And just uh, just to further on that question, Gavin, I mean, if someone is needing to uh, have TMA in multiple states, how would they go about that? Is that just a matter of contacting the service provider and adding in those additional enrolment details? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's it's, it's that it's that simple. Um, the, the certified application service providers um, are charged with the responsibility for all enrolment activities for TMA. So if you're a transport operator and you want to enrol in a particular scheme in Queensland, Victoria, or Tasmania, or anywhere else, um, you simply notify your application service provider, and they do the rest. Great, thank you for that. Um, there's another question which is really interesting around data ownership and investment and the question really is around who owns the telematics data that's generated within this and then how is access to that data managed within this regulatory environment. Could you talk a little bit about that and the way the consent arrangements perhaps for this work, Gavin? Yeah, sure, John. Um, I might start by explaining how just briefly how the IAP works because it provides useful context. Um, the IAP is driven by a clear consent mechanism that transport operators are in, enter into right at the beginning of the process as part of the, their enrolment of those vehicles. Um, and the IAP also generates what are known as non-compliance reports, digital reports that go to the authority for follow-up action. Um, so there's in the law there's very clear um, call-outs around um, how IAP data can be used. For TMA, um, a similar process operates, but because it's not a, a generator of exception-based reports like the IAP is, we put really strong safeguards around the collection and use of data. So that means the consent arrangements when transport operators enrol a vehicle are very clear around why the data is being collected, what it, what it can be used for, and most importantly, what the data can't be used for. And TCA's role is to be the independent safe harbour um, in, in being the custodian of all data that's collected through TMA. And the access that's granted to data that's collected through TMA is determined by 
the relative roles that different authorities have and the consent arrangements which individual transport operators have entered into. So depending on different, um, different authorities' needs, um, they will get different views of that data consistent with um, the consent mechanisms that transport operators have entered into. And just as an aside, don't be concerned about this term consent arrangement. Um, they are standardised arrangements that operate within the National Telematics Framework. Um, but it provides really clear definition to all stakeholders around what data has been collected, um, under what circumstances, and under what circumstances it can be accessed by different authorities. Um, it, it's a role, by the way, that TCA takes very seriously, um, and it's an, important, uh, it's, it's an important trust equation which underpins many aspects of the National Telematics Framework in particular, the use of TMA um, as a monitoring application, which under controlled circumstances can give um, authorities access to identifiable vehicle data. But those are very controlled circumstances um, and something that we, um, we apply very rigorously through the framework. Thanks, Gavin. We might move on because there's quite a few questions backing up now, which is great. Um, the next one I think might be more for you, Mark, but um, it's, uh, is it intended to use the telematics data through here, particularly something like vehicle mass weight, to be able to identify whether vehicles can travel over bridges or not, or whether they need to be diverted? Yeah, so uh, we will be using that information to see where vehicles are, are, uh, are going. Uh, there's a decision process obviously before access is provided to work out whether a vehicle can or can't go over a bridge. Um, but we also have other technologies we use such as way in motion. Um, we've got some bridges that are instrumented um, so we can use that information as, as supporting uh, uh, data if you like. Um, so we will be using information uh, but not in a compliance enforcement context. Uh, we'll be using to, using information to, to inform our role as a road manager, um, and, and there may be some situations where we need to approach the NHVR where there's clear uh, we have concerns about um, inappropriate road use happening, um, but we hope that won't be uh, too often. No, that's great. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, and uh, I, I think it's safe to assume there's a forward technology path here as we're bringing everything together where we might be able to make decisions in, a, in something more approaching a real-time basis. But thank you for that. Mm. Um, excellent. So we might keep moving on. Um, there's another question here. Uh, separate to TMA and Smart Onboard Mass, um, why is Queensland collecting mass declarations with TMA when New South Wales don't, declarations don't require that? So, so there's a bit of a just a question around the different uh, different contexts there, if that's possible. Okay. Um, well, we, we, we still we still need some assurance as a road manager uh, that all the information that we get through TMA will be depersonalised. So, so we won't have a compliance and enforcement role. Um, however. Um, Due to the assumptions that have been made by our structural engineers, they still need to have the uh, the certainty that the that the that the load factors reduction assumptions are still underpinned by by operators operating at the masses they're supposed to be operating at. So 
that's why we require that additional level of um, validation, if you like. Uh, that's great. Thank you for that. Um, now, we'll, we'll keep rolling on because there's quite a few questions in here, which is great. Um, so as we're moving um, away from the more compliance and enforcement focus of this towards uh, more data and probably what, what, as Gavin has explained, a more road manager focus for that data, mm -hmm. um, is there an expectation that some of this data might become more easily available for freight modelling and planning purposes? I think what we've heard today is that that is the intent, but um, perhaps, Gavin, maybe you might be able to talk a little bit about TCA's role in being able to use data like this um, for research purposes for a public good. You're on mute. All right. Thank you, Sean. Um, the short answer to the question is yes. Yes, it can. Um, freight modelling um, and, and research is, is really important. Um, goes without saying. Um, and I would dare say um, that um, reliable access to uh, freight movement data uh, is one of the more difficult types of data sets to, to acquire. Um, what we've been doing at TCA is using the National Telematics Framework um, and those clear consent-based data sharing arrangements um, for a broad range of purposes which contribute to the public good. And that includes um, for stakeholders, researchers, academics, industry players, and governments for that matter, to better understand where vehicles are moving and how they're moving and, and what combinations and what mass they might be carrying as well. This is really important. It, it, it gives rise to the kinds of things that Mark's talked about in terms of better understanding investment decisions and planning going forward. But it also helps local governments, local road managers, to better understand uh, freight movements on their networks. And if you speak to local governments, um, if they're, they're particularly data poor to make, and that, that hinders them in making good informed decisions. Um, and so what we offer through the, through the framework as an additional service to road managers and, and other parties, is, is a viewing platform called the Telematics Analytics Platform, which enables local governments and, and other road managers and other parties to see aggregated, an aggregated anonymised view of vehicle movement data across networks. This is really helping local governments make better decisions. Um, it, it's helping to resolve first and last mile issues uh, in a very practical way. I'll also speak briefly around the work that TCO is doing with the, uh, the National Freight Data Hub. And um, I don't want to speak on behalf of the Freight Data Hub, but we provide inputs into, into the uh, uh, presentations that they provide on their website. So the visualizations and reports that you see on, through the National Freight Data Hub, when it comes to vehicle-based vehicle data, much of that comes from the National Telematics Framework. So these are all good examples of how uh, vehicle generated data and the use of the framework can really enrich um, our collective understanding of what's happening out there in the real world. Thank you for that, Gavin, that's great. Um, the next couple of questions are in the weeds in terms of detail. So um, they're, they're, I'm not sure exactly who'll be best to answer some of these, but I think uh, in the first instance, it might be you, Mark, for this one. Um, triple road trains. 
are they going to be required to move across to onboard scales? No. Okay, nice easy answer, great, <laughs> thank you. Um, all right, so the next one I think probably is more for you, Gavin, but it's if an operator requires, and this, this goes to um, requirements in different states. So for example, I know under high mass limits, uh, Queensland is moving to TMA as a requirement. New South Wales requires IAP or TMA. Um, the question really though is around, uh, does someone does, does an operator have to pay for multiple services? And I think that's a, a fairly simple one, but do you want to just walk us through that, uh, Gavin? Um, no, they don't. Um, um, in simple terms, yes, um, to, an to answer the question, yes, there are some jurisdictions that offer the option of IAP or TMA. Um, in, in general terms, and it does depend on the relationship between the transport operator and individual telematics providers. But in simple terms, you pay once for a service and you generally pay for the highest level of service that you obtain. So let's say, for instance, that you're in TMA in Queensland and for whatever reason, as a transport operator, you've decided to stay in the IAP uh, in New South Wales. That's entirely fine. There may be reasons, very good reasons, why a transport operator might do that. But at the end of the day, they only pay for the service once. And so when we talk about these applications in the framework, they're all sort of modules of the framework. And so TMA is a subcomponent of IAP, if you like. So if you get IAP, it means you sort of also get TMA. And if you get TMA, you'll also mention you can get RIM. So that sort of hierarchy of applications is one of the key features of the framework, which means in simple terms, and in answering that question, you only need to pay for a service once and you pay for the highest level of service that you elect to enter into. Thanks for that, Gavin, that's great. And makes, makes things easy for people. Um, all right, so next one I think is, is back over to you, Mark. And this almost reads like a Dorothy Dixer, but um, it's the, the question is, um, will this open up vehicles that are currently moving under permits, so specifically A-doubles, to move to networks where route-specific permits might not be required, but where a network can be created? That's that's basically our vision uh, moving forward, John. It's, I mean, it won't happen overnight, but um, there's a whole lot of things in play including a national access system that we're actively um, progressing, uh, involved in working towards. So that, that's what our, our, our sort of shining light on the hill is, um, to move towards that, that sort of system. Um, permits are an old fashioned way of managing access. And uh, so we'd, we'd prefer to move to a more modern way of managing um, where heavy vehicles um, go and, uh, as I mentioned before, trying to provide some other opportunities uh, where we can. That's great, thank you. Um, now there's a question here around the data ownership, just to follow up one, um, and just to confirm, so uh, coming back to as, as Gavin said, basically um, data sharing isn't mandatory unless you're gaining the benefit of the concession that it's associated with, that's the bottom line. So, you know, if you don't need to access um, the concession that TMR is offering, you don't have to share data. Um, we, I mean, I'll, I'll speak openly, we are actually welcoming voluntary data sharing and we're getting some great data from a number of operators around the country, but that is completely voluntary. Participation in the scheme is voluntary, but if you participate, you have to share data. 
So just sort of clarifying that. Um, and that would be based on those, um, those transparent uh, consent agreements, which I mean can be found on our website and the service providers can walk you through those when you have a chat with them. Um, the next question relates back to um, the utilisation of TMA or IAP for other vehicle types, Mark. So you might be able to walk us through this a little bit. The question relates to, is there a plan for special purpose vehicles, mobile cranes, particularly in the future? Um, I'm not sure if that's, if that's something that's, um, that there is a pathway that you can talk to us about at this point, just status quo for now. It, it, it is status quo at the moment. Um, there are some discussions happening in that uh, context. And just to reiterate, our, our move from a compliance enforcement entity to a road manager, which means we won't get personalised data as, as a road manager. So um, we, we need to look carefully at the sort of data that we do or we can or cannot get. Um, and um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna say we'll never move to TMA with um, particularly the heavy mobile crane fleet. Um, but it, it's certainly on our radar. So, but you know, I'd say for the next 12 to 18 months, probably things will probably remain as they are. But we'll work closely with industry to, on, on on that issue for sure. Thank you if very much. If we do much, decide to move forward, yep. No, that's great. Thank you. And and um, uh, you know, information sharing sessions like this, I think, are really critical to be able to keep everyone across that. So. Um, the, the next two questions are closely related. One is around, and perhaps Gavin, this might be your area of expertise to talk to, but um, calibration of scales is um, first question. So, um, you know, are there requirements around calibration? The second question is kind of related to that though, and it's asking around um, how malfunctions in general will be managed. Now, I think they're, they're maybe two slightly different things, but they are reasonably closely related. Do you think you could give us a little bit of a walkthrough, perhaps first from a, a requirements on the scales themselves, and then more broadly around how we manage malfunctions within the framework? Yeah. All right. Thanks, John. I'll, I'll deal with the first question first. Um, there are calibration requirements for smart OBM systems. Um, they are performance-based requirements. I want to stress that. You know, performance-based requirements around calibration. Uh, you'll recall that I spoke earlier around because we are performance-based when it comes to approving technology, there are different types of systems out there that measure mass and which are recognised as smart OBM systems. Because of that, because there are different kinds of technologies and there are different applications of technologies, then we call upon the suppliers of smart OBM systems um, to tell us what the calibration interval should be. And we assess um, uh, the, the, uh, the systems and we grant type approval based on those intervals. Now, when we do that, um, we just don't call upon what the uh, supplier tells us, but we look for evidence around the data that is collected from those systems to demonstrate that those intervals are fit for purpose. So um, if in doubt, um, each type of smart OBM system might have different calibration intervals and different calibration requirements. And in simple terms, it's kind of like comparing the service intervals for your car. There's no standard service interval. It does vary depending on manufacturer and the model that you are, the model of vehicle in question. It's the same 
for smart OBM systems. At the end of the day though, what TCA is looking for is um, a, a demonstration that those intervals enable consistent and accurate mass measurements during those periods between calibrations. So if I can turn to the, the second part of the question then, John, is around malfunctions. Um, there are active obligations on application service providers and also um, uh, suppliers of smart OBM systems to notify um, um, circumstances where there might be a malfunction. These are built into uh, the certification and type approval agreements that we administer. And it's, it's a cornerstone of providing assurance through the use of these kinds of technologies. Technologies do fail, they do malfunction. It's a harsh environment out there on a vehicle. And so we need to expect that um, things will malfunction from time to time, despite everyone's best intentions. And so that's why we have an oversight model that puts positive obligations on different parties in the collection and transfer of data so that we're aware um, around the quality and the veracity of data that's collected. But again, speak to your certified application service provider, speak to your supplier of smart OBM systems, and they can provide further detail around what that means for you as a transport operator. Thanks for that, Kevin. No, that's great. Um, now, the next question relates, I think, a little bit more to questions of the national services transition. So um, there are a number of questions around enforcement compliance. Um, uh, now, the, spe the specific next question is asking, who will now monitor or enforce position and overmass breaches and penalties? And what penalties will apply and when? Mark, is that something you'd like to tackle? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's clearly the NHVR will be the key compliance enforcement body. I mean, police may have some role as well, but the main, the main compliance enforcement body on behalf of road managers will be the NHVR. So um, in that context, we're anticipating we may have to influence some activities by the NHVR from time to time. And that's where we'll be falling back on TMA and smart OBM data that we get, um, I guess, to demonstrate to the NHVR that there may be uh, action required from time to time. No, that's great. There's another question here, which basically are, you know, will the NHVR be able to see data? And I think this relates to this. So what I'm really hearing is that, I mean, from what Gavin, you've told us, there are certain circumstances under which the NHVR would be able to access data and TMR, you would be able, or local governments potentially, if they were concerned or seeing anomalous behaviour, you'd be able to refer something to the NHVR investigation and to follow up. Yeah, so the way we're looking at it is, the, the concept is that we think that there's a problem occurring, and so we'll um, provide some information to the NHVR and, and look towards them to sort of to close the loop, uh, because they'll have, um, uh, as an authorised compliance enforcement entity, they'll have they'll have access to that uh, personalised information, uh, reg registration details, etc. That we won't. So that that's that extra dimension uh, that we hope that they'll contribute to. Sure, and this also will fall into the context. I mean, the NHVR is currently, uh, as we understand, developing a, a compliance strategy around this to describe exactly how they'll be doing that work. Um, 
Yeah. The, the next question is related to this, and perhaps this one's for you, Gavin, but um, TMA is not evidentiary quality data. And whereas IAP could be tendered in court, it was like a speeding offence fine. It was standalone, whereas TMA, TCA can't issue certificates of evidence that stand alone in court. But that uh, that data could still be used as part of a prosecution, for example, or could be subpoenaed by a court or subpoenaed by a prosecution to be able to form part of a, a prosecution if there was sufficient evidence, presumably. That's correct. Um, it, it all comes down to the, the standing of the, the data that's generated. So as you've rightly pointed out, um, IAP data can stand on its own two feet basically and be used as prima facie evidence without any corroborating or supporting information to indicate that uh, some uh, non-compliant activity has taken place. Um, that is what the IAP is all about and it's why that um, uh, we put service providers through a fairly intense oversight um, and assurance uh, program that includes certification, audit and so forth. Um, when you're talking about TMA, yes, the, the data quality is still of high value, it just doesn't have the same level of standing. So, um, you know, hypothetically, if there was to be some compliance action taken by, by a regulator or some other party, then um, the, any data that comes out of TMA would need to be augmented with, with other supporting information. And that's the key differentiator between TMA and IAP. IAP can be used as standalone evidence that something has taken place. Um, TMA data would need supporting or corroborating information to go with it. Thanks for that, Gavin. Um, there's another question, which I think is uh, the last or coming towards the end of the, the enforcement related ones, and it's around reporting on enrolments. Now, as you, as you explained earlier with IAP, there's a, a, you know, almost a, a government-led process where people would apply using a form and then that you know, gets approved before it goes to service providers. Whereas with TMA, a transport operator would just contact their service provider or engage a new service provider and let them know that they'll be using a particular scheme in a particular state. Um, how are TMR likely to be able, or the regulator then going to be able to, to see information about those enrolments? So there's two parts of that answer. Um, um, authorities, which includes road managers and, and, and the NHVR, can access the Enrolment Management Service, which is part of uh, the National Telematics Framework. It's a central register of all enrolments across the country um, that articulates what schemes, um, and what applications and what vehicles um, are enrolled in what. Um, but there's also um, the good old fashioned physical certificate of enrolment, which um, service providers hand to their customers, being transport operators, that provides a list of all the applicable enrolments that apply to an individual vehicle. And, and if you're um, intercepted on the roadside uh, for a check, then um, the driver can simply hand uh, that, that certificate to the authorised officer uh, to demonstrate that um, uh, their enrolment in a scheme or an assortment of schemes. Does that answer the question, John? Yes, I think so, absolutely. Um, and, and certainly I know we are doing work at TCA uh, at producing what we call participation reports. 
that's um, that uh, jurisdictions can can download and provide to, out to people on the side of the road if they need to um, when they pull somebody over. Um, look, I'm clear of time, so I might just uh, we might just have another couple of quick questions. Um, there's uh, coming back to a question around data ownership. Um, I might just take this one myself because um, the question is who owns the data, and I suppose my perspective is um, it's actually a really complex legal question. We don't though. That's a really easy one. Um, there may be a disagreement between whether it's the transport owner, uh, operator who owns the truck and owns the box, or whether it's their service provider. That's between you and your service provider. We regard it as something that we are custodians of, but not owners of. So I think that's that's something. I, I don't know if we can make that 100% clear, but we're trying. From our perspective, we don't own it. Um, one of the things, um, uh, there's some questions around OBM readings out, uh, on level ground and things like that. We might take those, they're slightly more technical questions. We might take those on notice and come back to you. Um, we've got um, another question finally around um, the fact that TMR will be providing NHVR with data to produce compliance infringements and non-conformance. I suppose one of the things I just clarify is the NHVR is able to um, get data from TCA and we provide a feed of um, information to the regulator, which they're able to use under certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. It's probably more that um, TMR will be referring specific instances within that data to the NHVR to investigate because they are going to be getting a lot of information and they just they won't have time to go trawling through it for, for things. Um, I'm just trying to check. I think that's probably all of the key questions. There's a couple of last ones here around B triples and and access into the port. I think that might be something that's worthwhile us coming back to and, and giving you guys a written answer on, if that's all right. Um, uh, do we do we have a few more minutes, or do we want to? Should we be wrapping up now, Erin? What's we can what's probably do one more question and then we'll wrap up. All right. Okay. Well, let, let's go into this one then. Um, why can a B triple enter the port of Brisbane, but an A double over 30 metres can't? I think that's one of yours, Mark, perhaps, or is that one we take on notice? No, I can tell you, if it's, we don't allow B triples to enter the, into the port, so A doubles can, uh, PBS A doubles, but uh, if you see a B triple, tell us about it and uh, we'll uh, we'll jump on it. They're not supposed to be there. Great, not a problem. Not talking like a 36 and a half metre road train type B triple, so that, 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 that's not, um, they're not, they're not playing the game. Okay, good stuff. Thank you for that. So it's, uh, let TMI know if you see those. Um, look, I think those are probably the key things. Um, we, as I said, we'll come back and try and um, uh, get back to any of those other questions if we need to. But otherwise, if that's all right, I will hand back to you, Aaron, and thank you all very much for your time and energy and some of those really, really great questions. Thanks, John. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, John. Thank Thanks, Michael. Um, thanks, Mark, and thanks, Gavin. And we really appreciate you all for your, sending in your questions. And as John has said, we do have a few left, so we'll respond to them in writing and we'll send everyone out the copy of those responses after the webinar. We do have a variety of sessions coming up you may be interested in. Of particular interest is the Victorian government's enrolment of Smart OBM webinar, which will be on the 17th of March. And you can register for all of these free sessions via our website. 
After we close out today's session, a webinar will pop up on your screen. Please take a minute to send us your feedback. It helps us know what you liked or didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have for our future webinars. Once again, today's session is being recorded and we will send you the link to the recording when it's published on our website. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and safe and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.